Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'd like to read the text and then pray, and then we shall begin, okay? I'd like to begin the reading in 432 down through 57, okay? Be kind to one another in 432. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Let us bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll turn our attention to the word. Father, thank you for the reading of Scripture. Thank you for the clarity of Scripture. Would it that it be that it would speak to our hearts this day? Father, for our instruction for our edification, for our exhortation. Father, thank you for a word that's true. Thank you for your word that's authentic. Thank you that your word, Father, crosses all time, expanse, Father, before the nations that what Paul penned to Ephesus as he put ink to the parchment is as authoritative as he would write it this morning to us, and though it was written to Ephesus, this is written to our body here at Grace Church of the Valley. So we're grateful for its power, for its influence, and Father, as we lead into communion, may we exalt in the person of Christ, and we ask this in his name, amen. Hurling down the runway well more, at well more than 100 miles an hour, a Northwest Airlines jet took an unusually long time to get liftoff. And when it finally became airborne, the tail, if you can see this, nearly struck the concrete. Then the plane struggled to gain altitude, banking left and banking right, according to eyewitnesses. Seconds later, a wing struck the light pole in an airport rental car lot. And the DC-9's fate was sealed. It rolled left, struck two other uh, obstructions, and slammed down on the highway outside the airport and burst into flames on the pavement. Sad. The pilots were among 154 people aboard who died in the accident at the Detroit airport in August of 1987. But what they said minutes before the plane took off, or maybe even more accurately, accurately, what they didn't say 
help the authorities pinpoint what caused the accident. Investigators from the safety board discovered a fatal blunder after listening to the plane's cockpit voice recorder, a metal box that was extracted from the wreckage, possibly distracted by communications with air traffic controllers or with concerns about the approaching weather. The pilots failed to complete a pre-takeoff checklist. Tragic. They forgot to check the plane's flaps, the panels on the wings that provide the lift to get off the ground and climb. They failed to go over the pre-takeoff checklist, and disaster happened. Amazing, just the human error at that point. I would think as we come to the Lord's table in the spiritual realm, that failure to check your lifestyle, if you will, can result in devastation, but a far greater devastation than just death. Paul's going to orient our thoughts here that unless we fail to check who we are and even our lifestyle, it can lead to an eternity without Christ. And so we come to this section here in Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 7. It is, I've titled this message, The Certainty of Judgment. The Certainty of Judgment. And I say that because he says in 5, 6, be sure of this, that no one who lives this lifestyle, it says there, um, will inherit the kingdom of God in verse 5. And in verse 6, it says the wrath of God comes upon these things. And so he, he warns us this morning. He warns you this morning. Now, here's how I look at this truth. I mean, this is instruction for us. Always, as we gather here under the Word of God on Sunday, my desire is to equip you to tell you what the scripture says, not to give you my opinion, not to obviously entertain you, not so that you feel out, go out and feel encouraged necessarily, but I just want to bring an honest truth to you. And here is a, a steady, firm truth for us that we need to listen to, because no doubt it could be that there's a, some in here who need to hear this word, but I would think that the greater uh, amount of people in here need to be instructed so that you're sure, so that as you deal with your children, as you deal with your grandchildren, as you deal in your community, as you deal with your fellow student at high school or junior high or at the university, you might know what the Word of God says regarding moral purity, that you might know what the Word of God says, and another way to look at it, what He says about sexual perversion. Now, you remember, as we discussed last week, that the whole theme of chapter 4 is to walk worthy, to walk in a consistent manner with which you have been called in 4.1. He, tell, he tells us in 4.17 to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. In other words, no longer walk as you and I once walked apart from Christ. He tells us in 5.2 that we're to walk in love as Christ did. He'll tell us next week in 5.8 
to walk in light. He'll tell us in a couple weeks in 5.15 to walk wise. Now, where he's going in this is he just gave, at least in 1 and 2, two very positive commands. He told us, number one, to be an imitator of God. Uh, in other words, we're to forgive as he forgave us. Imitate the character, the likeness of God. And then the second positive command there in verse 2 is to walk in love. And the example was Jesus Christ and his life. He makes a turn after those very positive commands, which is totally like the Lord, always giving you your position first, always granting your identity in Christ to imitate God, to imitate the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he turns from that to a very direct, a very strong, and maybe I'd even say very uh, a, a negative language. Not negative to us, but you can tell the tone of it is very forthright. Look at verse 3 when he says their sexual immorality, impurity, and covetous. And then he uses this, must not even be named among you. In other words, here's a few things you must not do. In other words, you, those sins can't be named among you. Look at verse 4. Let there be, and then he uses that tone again, no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. He tells us in verse 5 that the one who is an idolater, and then this phrase, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 5 it says there, or in verse 6, let no one deceive you. And obviously, verse 7, do not become imitators, it says, or partakers with them. So after these two wonderfully positive, strong commands to us, he comes back and then gives us these warnings. In other words, you can't live out the commands apart from the negation of certain activities and so he gives these two warnings. And the first one we looked at last week, beware of sexual perversion. And then we'll come into the second warning in a moment, beware of the certainty of judgment. So he gives two grave warnings, beware of sexual perversion to us, and then beware of the certainty of judgment. And under that first banner, the the warning for sexual perversion, he listed four sins there. I'm just going to touch on it. He listed sexual immorality. He listed the, the sin of, uh, I mentioned last week, of pornography, if you will, porneia. That's the word for sexual immorality. What is porneia? What is immorality? Sometimes it's translated fornication. Um, it is any illicit sexual activity in act or thought that is in contrast to God's pure gift of intimacy between a man and woman only found in marriage. Anything outside of the intimacy of a man and woman found in marriage could be identified as sexual immorality. That would include all perversion. 
That means that that would include adultery. It would include premarital sex. It would include homosexuality. It would include um, uh, transgenderism, prostitution, pedophilia, incest, and obviously it would include pornography. In other words, he says, listen, as you walk with Christ, as you imitate God, you're to not have anything to do with this type of sin. I had a young man in our flock walk up to me last Friday. He's a high schooler, and he said, Pastor Scott, this is what happened to me this week. He goes, I was traveling home on the bus from an event that he had been with at students, and he said the students in that bus turned to him and said, so what type of pornography do you look at? I mean, I, it wasn't like that when I grew up. It wasn't that free. It wasn't that open. Now, evidently, there's no shame even to turn somebody to somebody and ask him what he looks at. I mean, this is our culture. And Paul is telling us, and I'm trying to equip you so I'm not upset in any way, but he says sexual immorality, it can't be named among you. There ought to be one translation says, not even a hint of it. And I'm not going to go into all the stuff that I could go into statistically because you don't know how all that works. But I did read in the, Huffing in the Huffington Post that there were more visitors monthly, monthly to pornographic sites than Netflix, Amazon, Twitter, combined. So I realize we're, we're dealing something that Paul dealt with in the filthy culture of Ephesus that was very similar to ours. More people visit pornographic sites than Netflix, Amazon, Twitter combined. I read something this week that said that 90% of men are looking at pornography on a monthly basis. Paul is telling us he's always going to lead out, imitate God, imitate Christ, remember his sacrifice for you, remember his offering for you, and you can't let this stuff even be named among you. So he mentions sexual immorality. He mentions, secondly there, all impurity. This is last week. He mentioned covetousness, which isn't just a greedy for money covetousness. It is that. Pleonexia is the word. But here is a greedy lust. Here is a lust that is never satisfied. Here is a sexual impurity that is coveting uh, someone else. And then the final perversion there, the fourth one, was in speech. And it's there in verse 4 that there should be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking. In other words, he says that can't be named amongst us, Grace Church of the Valley. That's what he's saying. We shouldn't even have conversation with that. I mean, what does that young man do on the bus when somebody just turns and asks him that? So what do you look at as though there's no shame? I mean, this is just the banter of high school. This is the banter of junior high. 
Sadly, this is the banter of sexual innuendo jokes, and Paul throws this down for us, and he says, you can't have anything to do with this. So he says, beware of the sin of sexual perversion. You say, wow, that's pretty strong. Yes, it's, it's real strong, and you might ask, why is that? Why is he so strong there? And I think he gives a second warning here, and we'll pick it up here, is beware of the certainty of judgment. Beware of the certainty of judgment. Look at verse 5. It's interesting. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, watch it, he repeats it, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Now Paul, as he opens up this second point, he, he appeals to the church at Ephesus, but of course, the Spirit of God is speaking to you directly this day. He says, you may be sure of this. The ideal is, you know this to be true. So I don't think he's trying to convince a people that didn't know. He's saying that those people that gathered in Ephesus, and as I mentioned in 1-1 of Ephesians, it was a circular letter that went to all the churches in Asia Minor. He says, you know this. You can bank on this. In other words, you know this to be true, okay? We might even say today, you can take this to the bank. But I think it's beyond that. I think Paul, as he's writing the church, at least to Ephesus, saying, you know this to be true because I taught you this. I spent night and day, three years with you, pastoring at Ephesus, and you know this to be true. You may be sure of this. And I think Paul might have been saying, I taught you this truth. Now what you know, as you tie it to the text, and what they knew, is that no one who practices the sins mentioned in verses 3 and 4 is assured of the kingdom of God in Christ. In other words, those who live in that kind of lifestyle are not on their way to heaven, they're on their way to hell. So as a shepherd, I just got to tell you that's what it's saying. Now, he mentions there, just for a moment, look there at the end of verse 5, that they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's interesting, you don't usually see them mentioned together, Christ's kingdom or the kingdom of God, but here they're paired together, and it's speaking of the reign of God, the rule of God, the, the sphere of which they rule, and obviously those full benefits of his kingdom are in the future. But here he's addressing in the language the present rule of Christ. Now, look at the text again. He says this in verse 5, that everyone, or that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetousness, and he mentions that as an idolater. In other words, they become idolatrous. Sexual lust often becomes an idolatrous possession 
placing self-gratification of another person in the entire center of their existence. That is why some men who get caught up in an illicit relationship spend hours daily on multiple cell phones, multiple private email accounts, in some type of obsession that becomes idolatrous that would make them leave their wife, their children, their jobs, everything to be able to commit this type of sin. In other words, those in bondage, Paul says here, to sexual sins and greed are not under the rule of Christ presently. They're not under the rule of God They may even be part of this congregation, but Paul would say, unless you repent, you have no share in heaven, no inheritance in heaven. Now, remember, I just left off this last week. How on the one hand can you be given an inheritance in 114 of Ephesians? You've been given a guarantee of that inheritance by the possession of the Holy Spirit, and yet you don't have an inheritance here in light of this sin in the coming kingdom. So beloved, I'm just saying to you, as you minister to your friends here, or it could be you in your own heart, here is a severe warning. Here is the certainty of judgment. In other words, no one who's living in that kind of lifestyle will inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, just glance back up into chapter 4. Certainly you remember that text there. Now this I say, and I'm in 4.17, and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they, he's speaking of the Gentiles, have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, there's our word again, to practice every kind of impurity. But verse 20 is precious. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. That is not the way of a believer This is what Paul is getting at here. Let me be very clear here. Paul is addressing in the text we're studying the habitual, unrepentant sin of anyone who might even claim God. He does not say, don't misunderstand me, that no one who ever did these things in the past will inherit the kingdom of God. Rather, no one... Here's the key, who is sexually immoral, who is impure, who is covetous, is in the kingdom of God. So, beloved, he's not stating that a believer who falls into sin is excluded from the kingdom of God, but he is stating that the person who continually gives themselves over to sexual sin without repentance is excluded from heaven. That is just a heavy truth. And I'm just sharing with you the word of God, okay? You say, Scott, can you back that up? Yes, it's stated here 
which is enough, but go up to the screen in 1 Corinthians, move to that slide, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know? In fact, I could stop there. He says, be sure of this. You do know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you profess, right? Do not be deceived. We'll see that in a moment. Neither the sexually immoral, there's the word. Here's another word. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will what? Inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you've got to move from your creed, what you say you believe, to your conduct. You've got to move from your position in Christ to your practice in Christ. That doesn't mean that our works save us, but it does mean that you can't just name Christ. In fact, he's so clear there, will not inherit the kingdom of God, the best phrase here, and such were some of you. In other words, you once lived that way, but you were washed. In other words, you became regenerated. You were sanctified. You were made holy. And you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You might even be arguing me as as we speak, Scott, but I, I did have a season like that in my life. Yes, potentially. But you're here this morning. You're listening to truth. And you would say, I, I, I ran from that. It took me some time, but the hound of heaven came after me, and I'm walking with the Lord now. That's, that's the point. In other words, you can't continue in that kind of lifestyle. Go to the next one. This is just in the book of Galatians. Not Now the works of the flesh are evident. You know this passage. Sexual immorality is a work of the flesh. There's our word impurity, akatharsia, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, rivalries, dissensions, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, there's the phrase, will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. And in fact, he's going to say in a moment, I don't want you to be deceived. Listen, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not an angry shepherd up here. I just want to help instruct you as to the word of God. This is what the word of God says. In other words, there is a certainty of judgment whom, for people who may claim something, but they live in another way. Certainly, you're familiar with Matthew, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the next slide, when he said, not everyone who says, talks cheap, right? They don't just say, Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. He says, not everyone who says to me that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. It doesn't mean sinless perfection, but it does mean that the direction of your life is holiness. On that day, on judgment day, many will say to me, I mean, these are like religious people. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Though you had a form of godliness, 
You denied its power. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not everyone who says to me. So what Paul said in Ephesians is stated in 1 Corinthians 6, stated in Galatians 5, stated by our Lord in Matthew 7. And many of you, years back when I began our exposition of John, look at the next slides. I mean, this is just all over the Word of God. If we say, say, talks cheap, that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness. And again, he's talking about a continual habitual pattern there. doesn't mean we're not going to sin. But if you're walking as a lifestyle, he says we lie. And do not practice the truth. It could be that you're thinking of someone that you know. Someone that you're counseling. Someone that you're sharing with. Paul wants to, for us, at least in our time, I want you to be sure of this. John says in 2.4, whoever says, okay, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a what? It's a liar. And the truth is not in him. Beloved, again, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about the course and direction of our life towards holiness. But Paul is saying that the one who is sexually immoral, who lives in impurity, who is covetous or greedy for lust, is not going to inherit the kingdom of God and Christ. Look at the next slide. You remember this one first, John. You say, but pastor, they were with us maybe for years. You went to university with them. But for the last 30, they've bailed. But they're claiming it. He said they went out from us. But they were not of us. But if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So clear, right? I mean, I've told you before about the guy that I played basketball with at college, at Pierce Junior College. He was on my team. He's the only other guy on my team that was stated to be a believer and so, came to church with me a number of times, and about halfway into the year, I found out that he was having an impure relationship with his girlfriend. And so, if the, another guy's on my team, I'm going to share the good news of the gospel so that he might have joy, that he might have his sins forgiven, so forth, that he might know the hope of eternal life. But this guy claimed Christ. And so, I remember going to him as best as I could, I was 18, and I said, hey, uh, here's a few scripture for, scriptures for you, for this is the will of God, your, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I brought him to Hebrews 13, I think it was verse 4, that the marriage bed needs to be undefiled, and gently I shared with him, and he just living with her. I said, how do you as a believer how can you do that? How could you name Christ and yet live in sin? And I think I've told you this before. He said to me, he said, I just do it and then I confess my sin. In other words, Jesus Christ became a credit card 
for him to live the way he wanted to live, live in, at that point, continual immorality, and yet all at the same time confess Christ. You say, well, Scott, what else did you say to him after that? Well, I don't know the condition of his heart, but I warned him. I can't, you say, is he a believer? Maybe if, he, if, if he's going to repent of that and get out of that. But at that moment, I just want you to know there was no shame there. There was no guilt on him. And so I brought him to the scripture. I, I mean, let me say to you, there's always three types of people that we're going to be around. Real believers who live the truth unbelievers whom we're surrounded by, and then the third category is fake believers. The ones who think they're in Christ but live a a false way. In fact, it could even be that as I'm speaking, you're thinking about family members. And whether it's these sexual sins or drunkenness or, you know, strife and anger, that the one who lives in that doesn't have a inheritance with Christ. And so he's defining here maybe the the fake believer, but he's not done on the certainty of judgment. He puts one more uh, truth in his arsenal here. Look at verse 6. He says to you, Grace Church, let no one deceive you with empty words for, we call that a gar clause, it just means here's the purpose, Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Wow. Let no one deceive you. Now, you say, who's that? He says there, let no one. Who's Who's the no one? We don't know. Could it be the philosophers that were in Ephesus? Yes. Could it be the false teachers? Certainly they were there, according to Ephesians 4.14. Could it be those who were Gnostics? Do you remember the Gnostics in 1 John? Um, They they denied, if you will, the body. They denied the flesh. They said the flesh is just the flesh, and only what mattered was spirit, so that you could do whatever you wanted with your body as long as your heart was right. Right? That's the Gnostic teaching. Maybe he has no one there to be the stated politicians. Maybe that's for our own day. For the proponents of the homosexual and transgender agenda. Maybe the no one to deceive you is your university professor, many of whom, not all, who have their PhD, but they're unpacking Marxist theology, and they have been since the 70s, could be them, could be scientists, could be apostate preachers, it even could be fake believers or nominal believers to tell you you're free in Christ, and you are free in Christ, but they're using that as an excuse to justify their lifestyle. It's all grace. I mean, there's some movements in America that have made their entire ministry grace. In fact, years ago, a man came out with a book, and it was called Love Wins. In other words, love wins out 
over all the stuff that Paul's talking about. And when you get to heaven, it's going to be okay. Love wins out. I watched the interview with him on Oprah. That at one point was a prominent pastor in the Michigan area. So when he says, let no one deceive you, we don't know who it was. But I can tell you this emphatically, that if you wanted to spend some time this afternoon, go read the book of 1 and 2 Timothy that Paul wrote to Timothy as he pastored in Ephesus. Paul pastored there and he warned him about false teachers all over. In fact, he told the elders at Miletus in Acts 20 that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. They're going to drag away the disciples. So listen, I'm going to say this to you young people. I'm going to say this to junior high because the world has infiltrated the elementary school. You know that. It used to be that high school, now junior high, now down in elementary, they've got, a, they've got goals at, at uh, Planned Parenthood to begin to systematically undo the minds of women because their goal within one Planned Parenthood that I heard from the owner was that the girl, by the time she's 18, would have three abortions. It's a money-making business. So here's what's so sad about this. Who is the one who's deceiving? He doesn't say, but if one continually lives, here's the point, an unrepentant life of immorality, impurity, um, idolatry, they will not be heirs of heaven but hell. That's what the word of God says. In fact, in 1 John, let me see if I got it up there. Oh, I did get it. Little children. See, these things pop into my mind because we've studied them. Let no one deceive you. Let no one fool you. Let no one trick you. Okay? Whoever practices, there's the key word, is whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, and again, it's a practice here, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned, or the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. What what do you mean? I sin all the time. Scott, yeah, that's probably why we need to have communion. We do sin, but the key there is practice sinning as a lifestyle, as a habitual life. For God's seed abides in him, the spirit, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He's been redeemed by this that is evident. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And so what a, what a truth there. He's not talking again about sinless perfection. He's talking about the direction of our life. We did not learn Christ in this way. So beloved, I'm not trying to arm you with arguments for people, but don't let anybody deceive you. I mean, I can't tell you how many countless people, some parents have come to me over the years and told me about their son or daughter who came to Christ at a camp, who came to Christ at Awana, who memorized all these scriptures, but for the last 20 years, they've walked from it. There's no 
assurance there. There's a certainty. That's the point of judgment. Look at the text again. Let me just show you this. Verse 6. It says there, that no one deceive you. It says there, with empty words. In other words, speech void of substance. Speech void of truth. He says there, watch this. For because of these things, stop, it's not hard. What things? The things that he just mentioned regarding sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. He said because of these things, because of the filthy talk, because of the crude jesting, look at it clearly there, the wrath of God comes, interesting, on the sons of disobedience. It comes on the those who are characterized, who know God's law, but they willfully disobey the truth. Some of you might be saying, this isn't in my notes, I'm just trying to anticipate. You're like, what about King David? Yeah? King David? He fell, but you can go read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 and find out what happened after Nathan confronted him. You say, but pastor, it took him Close to a year. Yes, I understand that. But he repented of that, knew the, the consequence of his sin. And I understand that. But those who practice these things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God and heaven. It comes on the sons of disobedience. You know, I'm just going to tell you that some commentators that I, were reading, that I was reading said that they're not going to have an inheritance in heaven, and the inheritance they deemed and put alongside the concept of rewards. In other words, these type of people will be saved, but they will suffer the loss of reward. But this is so clear. Because of these things, it's not a loss of reward. It's on account of these things, the wrath of God comes. Certainly, there's a present wrath. Even this morning, if you're running from the person of Christ. There's a present wrath, but in the scripture, there's a future wrath coming on the day of judgment. Look over, you could turn there, I'll bring it up, at Revelation 21. He's talking about heaven. And, and who goes to heaven are the people that were sinners, made righteous, justified. But as for the cowardly, listen, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, here's the word, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That is hell itself. Listen, some claiming Christ, but living a lie. And Paul says with certainty that they are not saved, if you will. They're on their way to hell. You say, but pastor, trying to anticipate it, do Christians stumble? You may even be thinking about your own life and arguing in my heart, because at one time this was you. Yeah, but you're sitting here right now. You're in God's house. You're drawing towards God's kingdom. Your holiness is becoming greater and your sin that once owned you is less and less. I'm talking about the person who doesn't repent. And if you were to fall in such a sin as this, which is 
possible, right? He will forgive us. But there will be a decreasing frequency in sinful patterns and a growing hatred of sin and an increasing desire for holiness. So no practicing sinner in continual, unrepentant sin has eternal life. Yes, we can stumble, but the one who is living in continual life of immorality, impurity, and is unwilling to repent, they're not genuinely saved. You say, does this kind of deception take place? Yeah, all the time. Let me show you a few quotes. I had about four, four sermons on this. I'll reduce it to three. Go to the next slide. Disobedience. Here's what some teachers are saying. And, and now I'm saying it's teachers. But the ones who deceive you could be your friends. The ones who could deceive you, and i I got to be careful I say this, it could be your family members who say, ah, it's okay. Hey, everybody struggles, everybody stumbles, disobedience, and I'm quoting here, and prolonged sin, prolonged sin, watch the words, are no reason to doubt the reality of one's faith. Really? Is that what Paul says? So great a salvation, page 48. Listen, that's Charles Ryrie. Some of you may grew up, I did, with a Ryrie study Bible. Listen, I just don't think he's right here. A believer, listen to what he says, may utterly forsake Christ, come to the point of not believing God at all. God is guaranteed that he will not disown those who uh, thus abandon the faith. Page 141. Those who once believed are secure forever, even if they turn away. Now, listen, I know, you know, once saved, always saved. I understand that. But there's no room in the word of God with what I read you that those who think they may be in may not be in. All who claim Christ, this is AF, that would be absolutely free by another Dallas professor named Zane Hodges. All who claim Christ by faith as Savior, even those involved in serious or prolonged sin, should be assured that they belong to God. I would say it's just the opposite of that. I'm not talking about a week. I'm not talking about a month. I'm not even sure what practice means. It's a lifestyle, but I wouldn't assure anybody if they live this way. It is a dangerous, is it dangerous? Or did Paul warn the church at Ephesus to question the salvation of professing Christians? He says it's dangerous. Then he said this on page 98, the New Testament writers never questioned the reality of their reader's faith. I don't think that's true, okay? I have much more. Last one. It is possible to experience a moment of faith that guarantees heaven for eternity. In other words, what he's saying is, maybe in our words, you can just go forward at a crusade, sign on the dotted line, get baptized, but for your next years, plural, you can live like the devil, but you're guaranteed heaven based on a decision. Not so. He says that, that guarantees heaven for eternity, then to turn away permanently, permanently, and live a life that is utterly barren of any spiritual fruit. He said genuine believers might even cease to name the, the name of Christ or confess Christianity. Paul says, oh no. Here's the certainty of judgment. So look at verse 6 again. Let no one deceive you, beloved. 
with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's an attribute, his wrath that derives out of his holiness and it stands opposed to man's sin. You know, what a, what a unique world we live in today. Evil is good. Everything's okay. Just pick your gender. Pick your lifestyle. We have churches that sanction the ordination of homosexual priest. This is clear. You better get ready for it, beloved. You better get your children ready. And we as a church better be willing to, to take a stand on these things. And I, I'm, I think what I'm trying to do is instruct you as Paul instructed us that as you get around people, this is a real issue then and even in our own day. You simply cannot say, God is so kind. God is so loving. It's just all grace. Listen, love wins. That's Rob Bell's message. Which he then went on to say, live however you want to live. And in the end, he unpacked the doctrine of universalism that everyone goes to heaven. Love prevails. Love wins out. That's not what the Bible says. Those who defy God will face his wrath. I think that was the Holy Spirit. Um, So look what he says in verse 7 there. He says, therefore, do not become partakers. He mentions the with them. Who's that? The them. Well, I just think it's the antecedent before. It's the sons of disobedience. He says to us, to me, to you, to our leadership, to deacon, deaconesses, to our flock, our members, and those of you who attend. He goes, you... You can't be a partaker with them. Listen, he didn't say you shouldn't associate with an unbeliever. Because then Jesus said, I'd have to take you out of the world. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying don't participate in their sin and their shame. That's what he's saying. So what do you do if you're that young man and they turned you on the bus and said, so what kind of pornography do you look at? I mean, this is just the banter of the day. And when it says partakers, it's the Greek word in verse 7 that speaks of an intimate, uh, not physical, but just a, a relationship of involvement. In other words, Paul's saying be separate from their immorality, impurity, and greed. And I, I mean, I would just share with you... Um, When I was playing basketball at the university, as I mentioned, that guy that I was sharing my faith with, it it wasn't easy. I mean, I'm around these guys for 25 hours a week. So what the sport's going to cost you. Maybe 30. Practice, games, film, post-game, travel time, 25 to 30 hours for someone who's an athlete. And you're just around that banter all the time. And yet in some ways, as God works in your heart and in my heart, we're called to be separate. And I praise God that 
he allowed me to walk with the Lord in the midst of all of that. In fact, it says this in 2 Corinthians, and we'll go to communion. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is to you, from my heart to you. It's Paul's. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with, says Belial, with Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. And here it is. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. Then the chapter ends and then it says this in 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So let me just say to you, that you say, how do I overcome this? You might be asking that. How do I walk forward in this century in which we live where you're bombarded with it? Well, I always say the best defense is a good offense. Fix your mind on imitating God. Fix your mind on the likeness of God. Fix your mind on imitating Christ to walk in love knowing that he gave his life as a sacrifice to God for you. There's our marching orders to imitate God, to imitate Christ. And then here's two grave warnings, but even that is for our instruction. And so here he says, beware of the perversion of sexual sin and beware of the certainty of judgment. I had a little note here in my notes I've hesitated to, to, to share this because it's somewhat gross, but maybe I'll share it with you because I think the sins of this text are so filthy that I've had to refrain from saying anything that would be so caustic in this place. I almost don't even like to name it, but I'm giving you biblical words because it's in the word. But in foreign countries, if you heard this, in some foreign countries, they would tie a murdered dead man to the man alive who was the murderer. So if a murdered man, they would tie that murdered man who was dead if the murderer was caught. They would tie him together with cords and the impurities would creep from the dead man into the murderer. It's disgusting. It would eventually take his life, tied together for days. But I thought, I don't know if that's as bad as some today are in danger of going mouth to mouth with the world. And beloved, this is just a warning for us. And I say to the young people here, high school, college, junior high, God's got marvelous gifts even a physical intimacy in the context of a marriage between a man and woman. But this kind of stuff, don't ever let it be named in this place. Don't even let a hint of this become true. Don't get bound up even in conversation with stuff like this. 
Because our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and forgave us all of our sins. May we walk in the truth. Amen.